Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Blood, Sweat, and Gear. I'm Scott McNally. Of course, I'm here with Skip Hill. All of our programming is brought to you by truenutrition.com. You can use our code advices for some additional savings. If you're watching this on the YouTube, do us a favor, hit the like button. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do, because we have several programs coming out each week, including shows that you will want to see, but you can watch this until that show comes out. How's that sound, Skip? Sounds good. Yeah. You can watch this until the good ones come out. <laughs> hey, I, we got a bunch of stuff that we're going to talk about. We have uh, a ton of listener uh, questions that we have from the group. Um, we have a couple topics we're going to start out with, though, and some just off-topic stuff because I, I semi-off-topic. Like, I want to ask Skip about his training shoes. We are going to talk a little bit about uh, something came up. We're not going to say who the situation was, neither of us. But the question came up, which it's come up before on the podcast, should you tell your significant other that you're using gear? So we're going to kind of covertly answer that question for somebody that we're not going to mention their name. Um, Skip had mentioned to me that he wants to name my gym. So we might get to that toward like the end of the show if we have time. Uh, and like I said, we've got a bunch of listener questions. Oh, and when should you compete? When are you ready enough to uh to step on stage we've got these things to start out with but before we do skip you just bought like six pairs of metcons from what i saw yeah i bought three more i had three. Wait, wait. Oh, okay i think yeah you nine. i bought three more so no no i got six now um i just i freaking love them they're cool shoes. and they're so easy to get on and off and i'm pretty sure and you can correct me if i'm wrong or the listeners can the old um, what I want to say, like the label of, you know, having Velcro shoes and being a sex offender. I don't know where that ever came from, but, but I'm it's hoping true. that that has passed. I know I'm thinking, well, someone pushed me and said that they're, it's an old person thing to have Velcro. I, that I didn't know. I guess that would make sense. I thought it was more the sex offender pedo type thing, but I was hoping that had passed because I'm to the point now, especially when I train legs, calves and legs. I'm kind of, I don't know if anybody else, I'm really, really OCD about some things. And if I go to train calves and legs, I will t tie and retie my shoes like four or five times because if one is tighter than the other, it'll bother me. Like I will uh... focus on it. This The other day, this is how bad I am. The other day I had shaved, right? I was in a hurry. And I shave with this like thing that Phil Viz told me. I can't remember what the fuck it's called, but it can literally zip, zop, zip, and you're done. It's not. It's mm -hmm. like super fast. So if I'm in a hurry, or if I've gone too long, you know, and I need to shave it down, I'll hit that, and then I'll run my blade, my regular, um, you know, blade over. Well, anyway, I had this one fucking. Hair. Oh yeah, I'll turn the car and around I, for that. I, I'm watching TV the other night. My wife I'm like this. Yep. And I'm like, oh, that's annoying. It's like I had one long hair. I spent probably ten minutes trying to bite it. Finally, she looks over at me and she's like, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing? You got a tick? I'm like, I got and I, I got so mad. I'm like, I could not sit there and watch the show. I had to stop it, run yep. upstairs, and shave that one goddamn hair. And I, yeah. it wasn't even I wanted to shave it. It was almost like that hair and me. Mm -hmm. Like, we were in this battle. Like, it was kind of mocking me, sort of, oh, laughing yeah, at yeah, me. Yeah. So I was thinking, I'm like, I'm not going to shave it. I'm not going to shave it. I'm going to grab, I'm going to find tweezers. Oh, one fucking hair you like fuck you right so i can't find the tweezers instead of grabbing the fucking blade that's sitting right there i'm irritated about it so i go into my daughter's bathroom and i'm looking i'm like you know and i'm irritated at her like she took the fucking tweezers what the hell you know that sort of can't find the tweezers so i ended up going back and having to use the blade and i felt like that hair had somehow won 
Well, and this has been our commercial for uh, Metcons. (laughs) (laughs) So you have the Velcro Metcons. I haven't seen those. In fact, I have three pair. I have fours, uh, two pairs of fours and one pair of fives. I'm wearing a pair right now. These are my Metcons. These are the basic ones. Yep. I also have a pair that's like red, white, and blue. And dude, get this. They're out of, they were like last year's. Fourth uh, of July release or something like that. I just like the way they look because they're like red and blue. It's kind of a cool combo. If I were to have not worn them, they're worth like four hundred dollars now. Oh no shit! Yeah, but guess what? I wore them every day, Jim. And didn't keep the box. No, yeah. no. But you, so you you have different ones. You have uh, these Velcro shoes. Yeah, you know because I do one on one training now, so I gotta have you know I gotta be mad. I gotta match anyway. But now it's like even worse because I feel like I'm being seen and. You know, if it's busy and stuff, I gotta have matching. So you know, I gotta match my shoes with my fucking hat. And, you know, it's you're all like at stuff. a high end place too. You're you're so you're like not um, uh... a little bit. I mean, it's not like a. Well, I wasn't last night. I went down to Iron Temple and trained legs, which Hell is yeah. I just met Tony this this past week. Is that right? Awesome, yeah, dude. cool dude. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. I walked in and Manny was in there training. There was a bunch of people in there, and he's like, "Oh, Skip." So it was, yeah, it's just cool to walk in someplace and yeah, you know them, they know you, you know that sort of thing, which happens at Titan, but Titan is just not as it, it you know it's clean, it's nice. The people do have more money. It's very close to Wilton Manor, so that's why doing one on one training there is pretty good yeah yeah <laughs> so i just you know i want to make sure my shoes are clean and that i look right and my team skip shaker cups my team skip mask you know that sort of thing so yeah, yeah. but i like that people are asking me about the velcro and whether it's tight enough hmm. and what i have found is it's not only is it easier for me because i am so ocd and they have to match because if it doesn't match then i can just pull it up put it down it's like oh it matches now or pull it up and down you know 17 times until it's right but at least i don't have to tie them you know when you go to tie and you got it right where you want it but then you have to move your finger at the last minute so it might not be as tight it's that sort of thing plus i double knot my shoes so that they don't come untied in the middle of a leg session okay and then i got to go through that goddamn thing again so to me the velcro works great but i feel it locks the shoes in quite well i always go down i don't know if you do this or not I always go down about a half a size for the shoes that I wear on leg day because no. I want them super tight. Really? Oh, I have my squat my squat shoes in here too. I stopped wearing these for a long time. Yeah. These are my squat shoes by Innovate. Uh-huh. And these are these are very um very stiff. Yeah, oh yeah. They've, I've got Rolaos are basically the same yeah. concept. Yeah. yeah. But I want them super tight because like let's say you're doing hack squats. Yeah. I don't like how the feet slide up to the front, even though it's minor, Mm. but they slide in the shoe up to the front of the shoe. Hmm. So I get them so tight that there's not room to move. Matter of fact, they're they're relatively tight to the point where I don't like to wear them to walk around Mm -hmm. because they're not as comfortable, but they don't move. My foot does not move in the shoe while I'm leg pressing or hack squatting or anything like that. Or uh, sissy squats, another good one. Yeah. Um, that sissy squat machine, things like that. Lunging. Yeah. I could see that. I could see that. You do want a tight you do want a tight shoe. I want a shoe that's gonna the the thing that's most important to me for shoes though is the arch support and my connection to the floor. And I'll tell you what, my newest pair of Metcons, which I just purchased a month ago, they're Metcon fives. And uh, I wanted this particular color, and then they went out of stock everywhere. And then I found them after I had given up hope for like three months. I was like, well, I guess I just missed my window. Then I found them. So right. even though they're not the new sixes, they're what I wanted. 
and uh, they they look like kind of like super old. And apparently, I have all my shoes in here. I don't have those in here. All right, yeah. show those to you too. But all you know, of them, but that one. I've noticed too that now you have the sixes. That's the newest Metcons. I saw uh, an article. Well, they're not called sixes though. What are they called? <clears throat> They're called uh, sports. I, I I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've never seen them referred to as sixes. Oh, They're then you don't have Metcon six because you have yours is a, a hybrid. Then sounds good. Yeah, yours is a hybrid variation because they. I also have a pair of Metcon Flyknits. Like they have the Flyknit shoe, then they have the Metcon, right. the hybrid of that. So you have a, a a hybrid then with the Velcro. But what I'm noticing with my Metcon fives is that they are stiffer than the fours or the threes, and I have a pair of twos as well. Um, they're stiffer and I noticed that they feel like the heel is a little bit more elevated. There was an article in men's health saying that Nike has now mastered the, uh, the, the, the lifting shoe. They're saying the Metcon the, itself. I completely, yeah. completely agree because the only thing that really stay, you know, you can talk about all the different Metcon, uh, numbers, yeah. the Metcon sport, the heel stays the same you can't and, and that's why it, it reminds me it's why i went to them it's basically like a squat shoe but you can still walk around it it's more versatile yeah it so is what it is that you can't for anybody who doesn't know it i say it locks the heel to the floor in mm -hmm. the sense that you can't roll it you can't roll it left or right there's no lateral movement in the heel yeah the heel portion of the <clears throat> the shoe and that's why I like the squat shoe. I don't care that it's all that stiff from the toe to the heel. Personally, sure. I don't care about that. Um, but it's nice. Again, you can change the elevation, but it's rock solid left to right. Where you get into trouble is I'll see people who will train in like Nike Freeze and they'll do oh, legs. Yeah. And personally, this is just my opinion, I think that's a horrible idea because – and the free is good for things like running and you know other shit, but it's not – good for that stability when you're training legs and especially if you're training heavy because it doesn't lock the heel and there's too much it's almost like your foot can do this left to right if you want it to yeah and, and you never want that you want it glued to the floor i occasionally will wear a pair of barefoot style shoes by uh, new balance and i like those for back day i like to feel like i feel more connected to the floor more like i can grab the floor you know i like i do like that I know some people like to train in bare feet all the time, or they use like a real flat, flat shoe, like Chuck Merrill. Taylor's. Chuck Taylor's good, yeah. but there's still a thicker sole there than, like, yeah. say, Merrill. Merrill has the, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. The, like, the, what are they called? The um, v uh, Vibram. I want to say verbatim because that's the only thank you. It's Vibram. That Vibram sole that is so very thin, but still grippy. It always makes me nervous, too. I don't want to get off on a tangent, but let me throw this at you yeah. and wonder if you thought the same thing. I see people deadlifting mm. on a plywood or like a wood polished deadlift floor in socks. And it makes me fucking nervous. Yeah. Who can't come by with a little the, pledge or the, something? The grip is just <laughs> not going to be. And the, and the wider you go, yeah, or some silicone spray just to have fun. I always carry a bottle of silicone spray in my bag just FYI for all the um, weight stacks just in case one's dragging. Yeah. Take care of myself, put it back in my bag. Nice, nice. But if, you get, if you're not careful and you don't put the, the – I put the cover – on the back to spray it so it doesn't go spraying across oh, because that's a good you get move. even a little bit on the floor it's like you stepped on a banana yeah like yeah it's kind of like my mom wouldn't she would pledge the furniture in in our living room when i was a little kid and we had a hardwood floor just hit one <laughs> spot and you're just boom 
That's it. My mom pledged everything. What the fuck? My house smelled like lemon. It's a good smell, though. It's good. All right, listen. Let's move this thing on, man. We have so much stuff going on tonight. Memories. We've got a. We've but but before we do, we are going to make this into like a legit top. No, let's do let's do the 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 gear thing second. Uh, first, let's talk about let's talk about when you're ready to compete. Because I just had a conversation with guy yesterday. He lives not too far from you. He uh, he's also into Metcons. He's a good dude. He. Uh, he said, "Hey, look at this guy. He he sent me a picture of somebody. He's like, this guy hardly has any muscle, and he's competing. He was like, I don't even feel like I'm ready to compete yet. He's never competed. He's I want to say like around 200 pounds, pretty lean. Not a tall guy, five five maybe. You know, so he's got some muscle on him. Sure, um, he could definitely compete, but he doesn't feel ready. Whereas then there's another guy who's like a buck forty, and he's on stage. My thought is, man." More power to the 140-pound guy. Get up there, get in shape, and do it. But I also can understand, like, Dusty and Ron both have talked about on It's Just Bodybuilding, like, wait till you have some real muscle and then unleash it. What do you think? Well, it would be pretty non-confrontational to agree with both sides. Yeah. I, can see, <laughs> I can see the points on both sides. I do. I yeah. get it. Um, usually this argument comes into play more at the national level, but just, we're just saying in general, right? Mm -hmm. In general, you have, you just have such a broad array of competitors. You've got some who have uh, competed in the past, but they haven't been on stage in a long time. They're coming back to the, you know, local or state level, uh, you know, the smaller shows, you got the newbies, you got the people who don't know where they stand. I mean, go back to when you were a competitor the first time and you were petrified because you didn't know if you were going to get your ass kicked. You know, you can talk a big game and you know, you're training to kick everybody's ass and you know, I'm coming in to win and everything else. But in the back of your mind, you don't know if you're going to get slaughtered. There's even maybe a little bit of apprehension or anxiety because, you don't want to feel embarrassed or like you failed because you know how hard you worked. I mean, we know the investment and time and money and everything else that goes into it. I'm with you in the sense that, and and I came to this more after judging, to be honest Mm. with you. And I won't tell the story again for the hundredth time, but it was the guy with the cerebral palsy. And I've told the story Mm. so many times, but it, it, it just woke me up and it moved me so much that in, in the, the end of the, or the, turning point was basically I don't remember who won that show but I remember who took dead last and the person who took dead last had more of an impact on Mm. me than the person who won because I can't remember who won so I don't care who competes I think everybody if they have you know even if you're just feeling it out or whatever it's a goal maybe you're not in shape but you've lost a hundred pounds and you needed a deadline and you know that's there's a million different reasons and and it's easy to sit back and judge strictly Mm. by what you see in front of you without really understanding the backstory. And everybody has a backstory. I mean, it's like the fat guy going into the gym versus the guy who's in shape. It's not hard for the guy who's in shape. He didn't sleep well and he missed a meal. But the fat guy who goes into the gym is going into the gym fat and out of shape. Mm -hmm. He doesn't typically usually feel comfortable, doesn't feel terribly sick, doesn't want to not be in shape. That is much, much harder. So I would feel that it would be the same thing getting on stage. And also I'll say this. Number one, anybody who gets on stage, and I would say if you're not as good, like you're not really good at it, you have giant balls. Mm. That's 
that's a pretty big step to put yourself in front of all those people wearing damn near nothing to be judged for no other reason than how you on how you look. Mm-hmm. You're not judged on your your effort and how hard you trained. I mean, indirectly in a sense. Yeah. But we've all stood next to people and gotten, if not slaughtered, certainly gotten beat by people who we have outworked three times over. Oh yes. You're judged strictly on what you look like. Yes. Tell me, you wonder why everybody smashes trophies and everything else. I'm not a proponent of that. I don't support it. But you're being everything you have done and everything you have invested is based entirely on how you look. It's hard to not personalize that. Yeah. So I said, look, anybody who wants to get on station, get on stage. When you get to the argument about the national level, that's a tough one. Well, well, let me let me back you up, though, a little bit. Let me let me go to this side of it. What about the guy who never feels ready? What about the guy who really could compete? should compete if they if they were into competing but they i mean what what at what point are you holding yourself back because okay here's here's what i see you take the 140 pound guy who got up there he got into good shape and yeah he was small but he got up there he had fun had a cool experience and guess what he's probably going to be more motivated now especially if he did well he's probably going to be more motivated in his off season to go and grow more muscle and and maybe that guy who was a lightweight is going to come back as a middle is going to come back as a light heavy you know who knows what that person's going to do but it could be a very motivating thing yes had he waited longer he might have been able to just go straight to light heavyweight jump in and do some damage he's never going to do damage as a as a as a as a, as a lightweight but now take the other guy he still hasn't gotten on stage this is a tough one because when you talk about things like motivation, yeah, people have different motivators. Like as an example, if you mm. get on stage and you kick everybody's ass and you're motivated to go to nationals, maybe just because you kicked everybody's ass, you think, and we've all seen this, we think you, that you might think you're going to nationals to kick everybody's ass too. And then you show up and then you're that guy that Dusty and, and every, you know the, the bigger dudes are talking about who don't deserve, like you might not deserve to be at the national level. Yet at the same time, the motivation can come from getting beat and getting slaughtered. I've seen people who have taken dead last and they don't look very, and a year later they come back and they mop the floor of their buddy and you're like, where did this motherfucker come from? And the judges are like, uh, he took like fucking 12th last year. Yeah. So the motivation is different, but I get what you're saying. It can go both ways. Um, the, the, the question about whether to get on stage or not is, I mean, obviously, it's a personal question. As a trainer, you know, you. I think that sometimes people rely on us to make those decisions. Oh, I don't yeah. like to make those decisions personally. Yeah. I I will tell them whether I think they'll do well. But my first, if they ask me, well, should I compete? My first question is, what What do you want to happen when you compete? Mm. Do you want to kick everybody's ass, or do you want to get up there, put everything, you know, put basically put everything together, put your heart into it, and and just basically invest everything you've got and let the chips fall where they may those are the two different approaches i think so it depends on the approach uh, but if you, i mean it always comes back to this even if you win even at the national level if you win when you turn pro you're likely always going to have weaknesses until you become the best bodybuilder on the planet hmm. you know even the guys who take second and third or fifth at the olympia they typically will have a weakness. There's a reason that they didn't win. Sometimes it's not yeah. controllable. Sometimes it's just a matter of, you know, structure and everything. But 
there's you're almost always going to have a weakness. Phil he turned pro with what they said was just a horrible back, and he would never be anybody. You Is know, that what they said at first? Him. Yeah, they did. Oh, I don't they, remember that. They tore him up on the boards when he turned pro. Holy crap! Now part of it was because they resented the fact that he turned pro on the first time. Ah, uh, yeah. First time out, especially when you get people above you who don't like that you turn pro. Mm-hmm. You have really pissed some people off. It, it, that is a, the resentment component because people have been sitting at that level and they're like, oh, you don't belong yet. When clearly he made the statement that he did yeah. and he brought up his back. So there's yeah. kind of the exception to the to the rule. By the way, somebody said on one of the previous episodes, they're like, Skip says he's not a like a, a Phil Heath nut hugger, yet he knows his birthday. You remember that you you were like I, you you were talking about when they moved the Olympia and stuff because people don't they, know that you trained at the basically you hung out with Phil. Well, here's the thing though, I didn't even know his birthday then. The only reason I knew his birthday when we were talking about it yeah. was I had just listened to that what I think was not a very good interview. Oh. We talked about that. Um, I'm not a big fan, um, and personally, the guy might be great, but I didn't think the interview was very good. You heard an interview. He had recently. mentioned and because it, it was news, basically saying that they had moved the Olympia. To the day of his birthday. And I remember thinking, oh, shit. Number one, I thought, I didn't know his birthday was a week before Christmas. Come on, admit thought, it. Yeah, admit I know, it. right? Come on. But, but that, even when I knew him, I didn't know that. We didn't hang out to the point, like, we, we wouldn't go have dinner or, or anything like that. I didn't know his wife or anything. It was just something through training because he when he started competing that year, I was competing. So mm-hmm. we were talking backstage, and from there, that's really kind. And I was, you know, I was a relatively well-known prep guy at that time in Colorado. I was doing the you guys you know, some of the... my seminars there at APG or yeah, Armors yeah. Pro and and things like that. And I was friends with Dylan, and and yet Dylan, you know, there's another thing. I don't know when Dylan's birthday is for the record for any asshole out there who wants to get me. And I had Dylan and I didn't get a chance to hook up when he was in town because he was on vacation. He was with his son and he was vacationing. And I'm very careful when people come into town vacation because I don't want anybody to feel obligated that they have to meet up with me. So I let him know, hey, you know, if you want to get together, let me know. If you're busy, no obligation. You're on your vacation. Enjoy it. And then I wait to hear from him. So that's, you know, kind of how I approach it. So I'm uh, I'd like to you, think though. I'm not a nut hugger. Well, hey. I've been accused of it back on the boards when he turned pro. I was very supportive of him yeah. because I felt like I knew what he was going to do yeah, and, and the damage that he could do moving forward. And I was right. <laughs> I was skip was fucking right. Um, and, and a lot of the naysayers were absolutely wrong. The large majority of them did come around though. And they were able to admit, okay, he is kind of a badass. <laughs> so here's the thing. I don't think you can necess- – the guy that doesn't compete, the guy that always wants to do better, thinks he's not good enough, I think he – is there an issue with that? You're never – I feel like that guy – and I'm not speaking directly about the guy I'm talking about that I that I, I was messaging with who, well, he does fall into that category a little bit, and he'll, he'll nod his head along when he listens to this. But uh, – there are a lot of people like that who never feel like they're quite ready for competition yet. And I just don't think it happens for them. There's almost like a, a mental thing that you're not good enough. We have a really good push pull thing going on. We have, <laughs> we have mastered this over. Nobody else knows it, but I know that you are very good at this. Um, this is a thank you. A big part of this is a head game. It has little to do with the physique, and it's more of what's in your head. I don't want to say, like I said, I, I said, I it, it is self esteem, it is self confidence, but the larger part of it is just being good with where you are, being being realistic about where you are. As an example, I've always said that I think that 
striving to be better at anything means that you have that trait. And I think it's admirable that you just want to continue to get better. You want to continue to improve. doesn't matter if it's bodybuilding or career or in a, in a relationship for that matter. Yeah. But you have to understand and appreciate where you are and the work you've done to that point as well. And maybe not be satisfied, but you got to be good with it. You got to be comfortable with yourself. So there's a difference between thinking you can get better and beating yourself up, basically telling yourself that you suck. And telling yourself that you suck is not motivating, I don't think. No. I don't know how you can get positive motivation after just continuing to tell yourself that you're shitty, you're not good, you're not good enough. I don't think that's very positive reinforcement. It's funny, too, because you know we always talk about positive reinforcement or typically talk about it like front getting it from other people or support from other people and the support around you and you know your friends or your spouse or your trainer but you can get that all day long and if you're feeding yourself negative basically reinforcement or negative thoughts then it really doesn't matter what anybody else is telling you because you're not buying into it anyway you don't believe it mm -hmm. and you can have and a lot of people I've seen this over and over over and over and over, you can have other people supporting you and being real with you and being honest with you, hmm. and they still don't buy it. They're so stuck in their head that they suck. Yeah, and it and it's tough. I mean, it it just it ends up, it ends up just being so overpowering that it controls whether you're able to stay on track, hmm. um, not just in a prep, but even just training or dieting or things like that. And look, I'm going to be honest. I mean, even myself, we all have that point where. Sometimes you just throw up your hands and you're like, oh, my God, my life is kicking my ass. It's like you can't keep up in your brain. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I got to set this aside for a second. Now, that isn't necessarily that you don't feel you can accomplish or you're not good enough. But there's those mental blocks that we all have to deal with. It's just some more than others. And I've said this over and over, so I'm going to say it again. If you don't enjoy the journey that you're on and yeah. you only enjoy the destination – man, you might want to either take a break or find something else to do because it's the journey. The journey yeah. makes up 99.9% .9 of what you're doing for 0.1%. I, yeah. I won't mention his name, but there was a guy that was a good friend. It still is a good friend of mine um, up at the, you know, up at the top of um, the, the uh, amateur level, level threatened to turn pro a couple times, got up there pretty high. And, you know, he would text me sometimes. He'd be like, dude, and he would show me, a, he text me a picture of him sitting in his workout clothes. I've been sitting here for six hours. I can't go to the gym. I'm like seven weeks out from a show. And I'm like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Well, I got to get my pro card. Oh, shit. And I just feel so bad for someone, especially when it's somebody I know in a position like that. Because if you're not enjoying the journey, then how satisfying would that pro card really be anyway if you hit it? Now, yeah. all of us without a pro card can be like, I don't give a fuck. I just want my pro card. But but afterwards, once you do have it, it's like if you were to get a pro card this year in uh, – I'll just use myself as an example. I want, if I were to have been um, injury-free, gone to Masters Nationals – I'm just picking a show arbitrarily – and no one showed up in my weight class and I get a pro card. Then what? I mean, yeah. I'd have to take second in the overall. But the point is, is I'm trying to make a point. Then it would be this elation thing. Like, oh, my God, this has been a lifetime thing. And then it wouldn't take very long to go mm. – Oh my God, like this isn't going to be, 
there this is like I, this isn't as flattering as I thought it would be. This hmm. is not the payoff there wouldn't be. Matter of fact, then hmm. all of a sudden I'd be a pro that I'd never win a fucking show again ever yeah, in my life. Yeah, then and, what? So there's that. So even when you're getting beat at and you're getting beat and you're missing it, Hans is a good example. How many times has he been this far from a pro card hmm. in the Masters division or at North Americans? I think he's taken second at North Americans like five or six times. It be, he's been very close to a pro card. You, the the silver lining there is you can keep coming back. You're still involved with the process. You're still on your journey. Yeah. Enjoy it. You're right up there at the top. It's gonna happen anytime, anytime. Or maybe you're Matt Mendenhall and you won't get it, but everyone will tell you for years and years to come that you are better than a lot of the pros who've gotten pro cards and you just didn't have, or Sean Ray not, Sean Ray not winning the Olympia. Same thing. We all look back and go, how did this motherfucker not win the Olympia? Yeah. I'd but, like to be, I wouldn't mind being a cult classic, you know, a second place guy per, you know, a, 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 a guy who you, a, the guy everybody rooted for who right. never got it. You know, Dave Palumbo was a lot like that. You know, I mean, I know that his physique kind of, you know, it kind of got weird at the end, but I mean, he was a really great bodybuilder too for a but he long was doing time. Everything it says a lot about, in my opinion, not always. It's not a black and white rule, but the guy who takes second over and over, tell me that that work ethic ethic isn't just right at the top of the. Gotta be. He's just right there. He can smell it, but he can't taste it. He's working his ass off it's so gotta be. that says a lot about a person at that level Holy all right shit. let's move on because we went a little bit longer on that segment than i wanted to we <laughs> still had one more segment to get to uh, one more topic and that is uh to tell your significant other or not to tell your significant other that you are juiced on roids uh, exactly roids roids i take roids if you ever respond on the internet with you take roids, you should probably just slit your wrist. Just do us all a favor and slit your wrist. Roids or juice. If you ever refer to them in with those two terms, you should just slit your wrist. <laughs> so. Oh, well, there's one more. Don't refer to carbs as carbos. Carbos. Hey, dude, that's like pre ninety five. Yeah, well, it's don't do it. Anyway, I'm gonna, gonna start gonna... I'm gonna bring carbos back. Hashtag carbos. You're going to have a hard time today without S2H because you're going to have to keep reeling me back in. Uh, the gear thing is a, is a tough one. Because you, deal with, you deal with this with a lot of clients too, right? Because I have over the years. And it's a, it's a topic that makes me a little bit uncomfortable because – and everybody's got their – I have to put this disclaimer up first and make this note. You know your situation, your relationship, and how you deal with that relationship is your own business. Mm-hmm. I will say, though, and in some will say, well, you're just lucky because, you know, you happen to have a wife that is supportive and, and, you know, allows me to do my thing and understands that this is what I'm going to do. So it's kind of a take it or leave it type thing. I don't know that I would want I don't know that I would want a relationship where I had to hide something. Now, listen, if you're just going to let me say this, if you're only going to take tests and you're, you know, you've never done it before and you just want to try to go on cycle for you know, three months and you're not sure how your wife's going to deal with it or she's told you no and she doesn't like it, that's different. But if it's something where you're a competitor and you have a history of, of using gear and your spouse is not supportive of that, I personally, if it were me, that would be a huge issue for me. I don't expect yeah. that my wife is 
overly supportive and excited, but I would prefer apathy over being non-supportive. You know what I mean? Indifference, yeah. apathetic. It's I, and speaking for my wife, she just accepts it as something that is. I don't want. I hate to say, say the word, the term, necessary evil, but in a sense, that's kind of how I look at it. It's part of the game. That's what happens, and she is not against it. I, I don't know that she's overly supportive. She would probably rather that it was not a part of the game, but it is, and she accepts that. Hmm. So it's difficult for me to hear from people that they're hiding. I had one um, one client who said that he would have to keep his gear at his buddy's house and stuff, and I think, wow, hmm. that's incredibly inconvenient. But if you ever, if the guy ever makes you mad, you could just call the cops on him and tell him he's got a bunch of gear. That, so there's, uh, I, I wouldn't want to be in a relationship that I, that I was hiding stuff like that. Like, I don't know. I feel like if it was going to be like a long-term thing, I could see, here's a thought. It, I guess it depends on the relationship because if it was somebody who was new, someone mm -hmm. you've only been dating a couple months, do you want to sure. be completely open, especially if they're not a part of the industry? You know, Now, if you go to the Arnold Classic and you, uh, you're working at a booth and she's working at a booth and you guys happen to be from the same area and you, you hook up that weekend and then now you're a thing, that's one thing. But what about you know, completely un-industry related. She's working at the grocery store or whatever. You know what I mean? Some The bank. And you meet her and, you know, obviously you're... I Because here, here's the thing. I think that what are they going to think that could be negative if they have no connection to the industry? A, you're breaking the law. You know, we'll say one because I can count better than I can do letters. Or B or two. I'm doing them both, I guess. Two, B, yeah, you, uh, you are a cheater. You've got poor morals. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Uh, what else do we have then? Uh, C, and this is one I think would be applying to anybody, even who does know, health. You know, if you really love somebody, you want them to do everything. And that may be something I deal with in my own life, too, is, you know, concern for health. You know, I, I don't think anybody, any relationship I've been in, they've understood, but they've also wanted me to be healthy and that they, sure. you know. They're concerned, so right. I can see those, those three, three things. Three points are those three points are they pretty much nailed? Um, you nailed the 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 most important component there. I'm gonna go backwards and go like okay. start with health um, or risk, I guess health slash risk. Yeah. Um, my daughter, who's in nursing school, just jumped out of a plane and did a backflip. It was pretty kind of badass, dude. I don't want to jump out of a plane. It's not because I think I'm going to die, but it's because I maybe indirectly I think I might. But yeah. that's not something I'm ever going to do. Would you? Was there I, ever a time in your life that you would have done that? Uh, you know what? If I was young, under peer pressure, I may have, but I wouldn't have <laughs> wanted to. Let's yeah. put it that way. Okay. I'm not good with heights anyway. Jumping out of a plane, it might be exhilarating and everything, but if I did it today, I probably would have a heart attack before I ever even got up to elevation. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But yeah. the point is this is – the things that we do, unless you just stay in your house all the time, there's an inherent risk no matter what you're doing. Now, you want to minimize those risks, and I understand it. So then that comes back to gear use. If you're just reckless, yeah, then that's, in my opinion anyway, it may not be anybody else's opinion or everybody else's opinion. But if you're reckless, that's a whole lot different than being cautious and careful, watching blood markers and health markers and, and tracking and adjusting and, and having the discipline or the smarts to be able to tweak your plan, maybe cut back. If you see things that are 
out of whack or or potential health concerns or risks. So the health risk part, I think anybody who lives and does anything, you know, you ride a motorcycle, do you ride with with a helmet? Because that'll save you forever and you'll never die. I mean, there are just some things that people do. We go fast in our cars or we jump out of airplanes. There are just things that we do that that we like doing to help us live better. Yeah. And speaking for myself, I really do. And someone will say you're justifying your drug use. That's fine because you're not me and you don't have to live with me and you don't have to be married to me and you don't have to deal with it. But I do feel that there is a component. It's it's a necessary evil for the thing that I am most passionate about outside of, you know, my top, obviously, priorities. <laughs> going to the uh, going backwards again to the. um what was the second one? I'm sorry. It was the, uh, that, that you're a cheater that you've got poor right. morals that you're, you're that breaking the rules. That one's easy. If there's a policy and it's banned and you use it, you are a cheater. Yeah. If you have rough, more ethically, morally, you're, I don't want to say you're corrupt <laughs> ethically or morally, but you're, 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 that's a cheater to me, but we don't compete in shows that are tested. Yeah. The people standing next to us, are on drugs. If I was going to go to the Olympia, or not the Olympia, but the Olympics, and use steroids, I think that is that is cheating. If you're going to play Major League Baseball and they have a banned substance list, or the NFL, and you get caught, you are trying to cheat. At least there, you understand you're trying to prolong a career and you're trying to continue to make millions of dollars. But nonetheless, it's still cheating. Yeah. So well, I, here's the deal, though. I think with that. It, it is it's a matter of education it could be too with the health thing you know and, and then better Those understanding things could be discussed. like you could have yeah. you could have dialogue and you could explain to somebody who doesn't know any better but you're not gonna be able to do that with number one yeah the legalities are tough the only thing i would say to that is this and because i've been around the game for a long time and i understand that this may sound like minimizing but i feel like i'm calling it more realistically and more i'm gonna do it no matter what now, if it was where I, you know, would go to jail for 20 years, that would be different. But with the laws the way they are now, they're far more lenient now, society is in the laws, than they were back in, say, the 90s. Because the Anabolic Steroid Act was passed in 91, mm -hmm. and they started really cracking down. Like, it was a big deal if you were in possession without oh. a prescription. And they kind of were looking, uh, and I'll just say this, uh, Undercover narcotics for Southwest Michigan, sweat, Southwest enforcement team. They had uh, they they had a hard on for a few people back way back in the day, and they were like purposely looking for some people. And uh, I heard I heard that um, through the grapevine. And there were some things. I mean, there were grand jury investigations. There were indictments for possession. Ended up being possession of a controlled substance. Sometimes a counterfeit. They actually, I know of one charge that was an indictment out of that grand jury mm -hmm. that was, follow me on this one, possession and attempted delivery of a counterfeit. It said counterfeit anabolic steroid. Hmm. And they still wanted to make sure that those, those charges were brought and they were. Wow. So these days I think it has, they're not as sensitive and they're not as, um, they're not going after the typical steroid user. And I think what happened has happened is society has kind of softened as marijuana has become more legal. Dude, I hear they're gonna and, they're talking about making mushrooms legal. Yeah, I know Colorado was pursuing that along with um well, it was yeah, mushrooms and I think um 
Is mushroom are mushrooms and LSD the same thing? No. Well, the, okay. I mean, no. That's that's uh, a chemical versus the mushroom is okay. natural. But they basically do the same thing. Kind of. Okay. Kind of. I'd, I'd say one's a lot stronger. But I mean, you, you know what, though? I guess it depends on dose because I know people are doing like LSD micro dosing now and right. stuff. But I, I, I don't just, know. I'm not, I'm not the right person to ask. I could have told you how to take a bunch of it years ago. I could have I could have like. Yeah, I tell you what, I'd rather get caught with steroids all day today than say like a pre precursor for GHB sure. or GHB itself. When they used to sell GHB basically on the shelves at GNC, mm-hmm. get your GHB at GNC. Hey, um, so I mean things things have changed, and it's I think society dictates the laws to some degree. It's okay to get in a car and be hammered and go run into somebody and you cause an accident and you know what typically we're going to slap you on the wrist but now you've got four drunk driving issues so now we're going to finally throw you in jail for a year or six months but Mm. i think uh society dictates that quite a bit number one the legality you're gonna have a hard time getting around that one but number two and number three those are things that you can discuss i think and may actually depending on how good you are at explaining and providing information uh, you may be able to bring the person you know to understanding those two points yeah, we do have a few people that chimed in with comments. Billy had said, if you have to hide it, she's not the right one for you. And here's an interesting one. Scott says, uh, your your spouse should know everything you're doing in case there's an emergency. Now, I can see that in a marriage. There's going to be a finer line if you're dating, you know. I completely agree with that. Yeah. Here's, I, here's I, a reason not to tell your significant other. And I've mentioned this when this has come up on other podcasts. I've seen situations where it's been used against them that Mm -hmm. they've been in a relationship where, you know what, he shouldn't have trusted her. And now, uh, you know, they're, they're breaking up and either she is telling the whole world all his business or she's notifying the authorities. You know, Mm -hmm. there's, there's that kind of stuff too. Mm -hmm. It could be used against you in divorce, you know, all sorts of stuff, child custody. I was going to go there. Child custody. I've actually seen with, um, and it's horrible. I've seen it play out with a handful of clients and it's just, it's bad. It's, it's really bad because you trusted that person at some point and you know, you were married, you had kids and then it comes back to haunt you. But you know, sometimes I think I, I'll tell you what, I still think, and I clearly my situation is different than most, you know, cause I've been together with my wife for almost 30 years, Yeah. but make no mistake. If every, anything were to ever get nasty for a divorce, I don't know that she wouldn't come back on me and, mm. and do that. I would like to think that she wouldn't, but who knows? But I think that that's a very, very small risk in the, in the big picture. Uh, but it's a very good point that the length of time and the, um, the type of relationship that it is. I mean, if you're, if you're living together or you're married, I guess that's where I'm coming from. I mean, if you're not living together and you're only dating for four or five, six, eight months, no, I don't think that person needs to, maybe they don't need to know that. And no one really can judge that other than you based on whether you feel that they can handle that information or that they need that information or can be trusted with that information. So I, I just think hiding things too. I mean, you know, yeah, we're not supposed to hide anything. And at the same time, you know, people, half of people cheat. So there's that too. So, yeah. uh, but I, I just think that there's, it's, it's a tough spot. I wouldn't do it. If I was with somebody who was dead set against it, I'd probably have a hell of a decision to make. Luckily for me, uh, I have been a professional drug user for more years than I've been with my wife. 
So the drugs were there before my wife came along. So that may have made her a little bit more. I mean, I laugh about it, but maybe that was a little more accepting because it was already going on. You know, if you're 10 years into your relationship and you're in a marriage and then all of a sudden, you know, you lose 50 pounds and you want to compete and you're on steroids, you know, and your wife is still 50 pounds overweight. She's probably not going to be too cool with, you know, what you're doing and you mm. going in a different direction and getting all the attention that you're getting while she's sitting over there you know, licking powder off of donuts and washing them down with Mountain Dew or so. I don't know what people do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot to that one. Um, we got a bunch more though. So let's move on because we have still a ton of listener questions. We don't have S2H here with us. So Scott's teaching a gun class tonight. We were recording a day early and Scott couldn't make it. So he's out shooting guns. Which would be expected. I did get an answer from one question for him. It was about like smoking food, smoking, using a, a grill brisket, Texas brisket. I don't know. We'll get to it. Uh, to start us out, though, we have a question from Joshua. He says, uh, do you guys do you guys ever throw up uh, after a workout? Why do you think this happens and what can I do to stop it? Um, if you can't stop it, how would you deal with it uh, so your workout gains are not lost? Mm. It's actually a good question. I like the fact that it's unique in the sense that I don't think we've been asked that before. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so. I have thrown up one time after a workout, and it was because I had food poisoning, and I wanted to train anyway, yeah. and I paid the price for it. Have you thrown up after a workout? I have never thrown up in a workout, and I don't know if that makes me a pussy, you know, because there's that. There's yeah, that. I, yeah. No, no, I mean, I, I've come pretty close, <laughs> but I've been able to dial it back. Usually for me, it's always been on leg day and I had, I don't do this so much anymore, but I used to have a cadence. I've made a lot of people throw up that I've trained with, but I've had this cadence to my workout where we start out with like a consistent, you know, movement into the workout and we're, you know, going back and forth with sets. And then we start going really heavy with the movement, like say, uh, say squats, and we get into that and we take a little bit more time between our sets. Mm -hmm. But then from there, we start moving faster yep. and we start going to higher reps. And it's usually at that point we get through, say, the leg press and then we go to like supersetting uh, extensions and curls or maybe it's in the leg press. And then the people start getting queasy and two, three sets into that of going back and forth, back and forth. Then they, they barf. I can say, honestly, it's probably happened I'd say at least 10 times training with people, but I have not, I don't know. I do have thoughts on timing with my meals and mm -hmm. I think that may exactly. be part of it, but let me, let me hear your thoughts on it. Well, I, I think, um, well, number one, I've never thrown up okay. anything that, that was related to my training intensity. Right. Um, and I also feel my theory on this is I don't think anybody, I know it's very machismo and, you know, that sort of thing. But I don't think anybody should ever train to the point where they're going to get sick. It's, it's counterproductive. You're throwing up food that you need to grow and that you need yeah, yeah. for fuel. And if you're to that point, you have to stop and slow down, if not completely stop your training session anyway. And even if you continue it, how productive is it going to be after you've thrown up yeah. now if you throw up because you have a bunch of food in your stomach and you ate too close to the workout and you throw up the food, then I guess you miss out on that meal and you can laugh and you can have your stinky pail of puke there and you can take pictures of it and put it on Instagram, you know, to each their own. To me, it doesn't seem optimal at all. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, is it's funny too, because I think I train pretty hard 
And the only thing I've ever had is there are times where I have felt like I was going to pass out because of either, you know, my heart rate being too high, probably damn near being tachycardia and just not being able to get enough oxygen. It's funny because it's not during the set. I think you'd agree. It's not during the set. During the set is bad enough, but it's about 20 seconds after you have racked whatever it was you were done. And then it's just the heaving locomotive, you know, train uh, breathing. And yeah. And it's just like, oh, my God, get me an oxygen tank. You know, I'm going to go down. You know, you even might even see stars and shit. Um, but what causes, because I've been asked this, too, what causes the throwing up? You know, if you get to the point where where you're, it could be a blood sugar issue. You're just burying yourself from you know, your blood sugar is bottoming out. Typically, though, that would be more along the lines of being dizzy Um I don't know if that's necessarily. I I don't know exactly where or what the cause is for. What's your theory on what causes the throwing up, dude? I just feel like it's like a motion sickness thing, you know, getting getting jumbled around and just having. And I think too sometimes that it's somebody that ate their food too close to training. That yeah. I think that there's a timing issue in there. I think that I'm not gonna. I'll say that when I have felt like throwing up. I probably ate too soon. That right. doesn't happen to me very often because I feel like I, I process food pretty quick and it's through my system. But I've also had times where food doesn't seem to be moving too quick. So it's food that's not very well digested to begin with. And then it's just a matter of the same reason I'd throw up on a roller coaster. You're just getting jostled around so much, mm -hmm. you know. I really think that that's, that's all it is. You know, that's that's been my thought. And, yeah, man, it's you, you put your body under a lot of stress when you're training. So, if you have food that's ready, you know, then yeah, it could come up. And I think too, throwing up, you know, because there's a difference. Throwing up while you're halfway through a uh, a single pulling a deadlift and you just start vomiting. Oh yeah, that, that can be simply from intrathecal pressure, and the pressure is just too high, and it's just gonna remove anything you've got. Which those videos are absolutely fucking hilarious. Yeah. And if you finish a dead or a squat after you've puked mid squat. You are a fucking badass. Yeah, that's, that's true. Fucking sick. Yeah. But throwing up, I would. I'm assuming when you're talking about throwing up that I it, that it's between sets from exhaustion. And and I agree with you. I think that eating, you know, look, you can't throw up something. You're not as likely to throw up if there's really nothing. If your body has to work real hard to pull it, you know, out of your stomach versus having a stomach full. Not even just a stomach full, but what about even workout water that is being added, you know, along with EAAs or carbs mm -hmm. and stuff. And and it's too much in your fucking gut, and, it, and then you get sick. But I don't think you should train or focus on training or try to train to the point where you make yourself sick. If you're taking a pail in every day, yeah, uh, while you're doing legs, I just that's more for attention than anything else, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I would say give yourself more time <clears throat> if you are throwing up. Give yourself more time uh, from the time that you train to the time or the time that you eat to the time you train or consider your food sources, something that's going to digest faster. You know, mm -hmm. if you're eating things like beef, like I've used, I found that for me, I found that beef and sweet potato is a nice combo for pre-workout, but you also have to get that timing right. Cause beef has got, you know, that's going to be a slower digesting food. And then right. sweet potato has more fiber in it. So that's going to be slower digesting. You got to get that timing, right? So, I mean, usually, okay, let me ask you this, and, and I'll be really quick because we have a bunch more, but uh, what do you say is an average amount of time to eat before you train? That's actually a good question, um, and it is different from person to person. You, I take 
almost two hours. Do you see? I'm an hour. I do. Yep. And the reason is now if I am heavy into a um, leaning out phase or cutting phase and my meals aren't as big, then then I could run it back to an hour, hour and a half. But I don't want much in my stomach because I'm the person that as soon as I start adding workout water with EAAs or anything in it, it will just sit in my stomach mm. and feel like it's not moving. I want to be able to get in as much. I don't want my my fluid intake to be limited while I train because I sweat a lot and I yeah. tend to stay uh, usually stay more covered up. And if I'm training in Miami, it's hot as balls. Yeah. Armors Pro, it's hot as balls. So I have to move a lot of water, and you can't move a lot of water with food in your gut. It just it'll sit there and it'll just feel like you're you're pregnant or you're distended. Yeah. So I lose more time, but everybody's different. I say this. Because the next question from someone will be, well, then how do I know how long? Give yourself an hour. And then from there, if you get into your workout and consistently you feel like, God, you know, I still feel like I'm full. You know, my fluid, when I drink my workout water, it does feel like I said, then just back it up from there. 15, 20 minutes and get to the point where you don't feel that way while you're in there. There you go. And that's the other thing, too, is adding intras. If you have a thick solution for your intra um, supplement intake, whether carbs or EAAs. yeah, that'll make you throw up too. You got to make that dilute. Absolutely, it'll sit there. It won't move as quickly if you if it's not diluted. If it's not um, if the solution is too thick. Okay, okay. Uh, this is a good one. I actually talked to him to get some follow ups. So he starts out asking, um, how big of a difference do you think it would be? Uh, would it make for somebody to compete on just test and fat burners and maybe one other compound? Versus doing a typical test trend master on Winstrel plus fat burners. Uh, he's thinking about competing again, but he wants to know, uh, he wants to see if he could do it without all those compounds. Um, then do it. Then do it without all those compounds. Yeah. I think you, I told him, yeah, I think I told him, I think you'd be just fine. Really? I mean, yeah. listen, I think that if you add trend in, for instance, trend is going to do something for you. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't expect to get, I I wouldn't go into, okay, I'm going to go back for a minute. Now, I worked with a girl one time. She did really, really well, okay? And uh, she was figure. She won the whole thing. It was her first show. And, uh, you know, she had some decent muscle on her. But she uh, she used a little bit of Anivar. She used Clen. And she used a little bit of Novadex. Like, I mean, five milligrams of Anivar. And she used a little bit of Novadex for like the last six weeks. Now she was considering having a baby after this next year when she competed. And she came back to me and she wanted to work together again. And she said she wanted to be able to beat her previous conditioning and and shape and size and all that. But she wanted to do it without the Novadex and without the Anivar. And if possible, without the Clen. And I talked to Shelby about this actually. And he put it really well, the way he said it. He was like, so she wants to do better than she ever has and not use any of the supplements she used to be the best she already had been. Right. So I guess there is an amount of expectations, you know. But really, man, with, say, he this guy used Test and Winstrel, you know, I feel like you could get crazy hard, you know. Sure. Crazy hard. Again, it comes back to dosage and things like that too. But yeah, um, it, it, and what he has run to this point, if he's only done one or two cycles and it hasn't been very high, then it could have more of an impact than if he's done a bunch of cycles and and he's just going on low dose. It, there are a lot of variables there, but I'll say this: 
you have to be comfortable with what you're using and not be taking more like not be taking risks that you're not comfortable taking, I guess. So do I mean, you're your the answer to the question is right there in the last part of his question. And that is just do it. You could if you get halfway through and you don't feel like, OK, this is you could then if you wanted to and you're comfortable doing so, then you could add another compound. But you're not really ever going to know. Do I have the exact amount of gear that I need? And that's why we tend to typically, it, it's the same thing with protein intake. It's the same thing with calories. We never know that exact amount. Yeah. So we tend to, as bodybuilders, this is just what we do. We tend to err on the side of, well, we take a little more. Yeah. Where you get into problems, if you take a little more and then you take a little more and you take a little more and then before you know it, you're just taking a ton of protein, taking a ton of calories, you ended up fat and you're taking a bunch of gear and then you got a bunch of health problems. So it's, it's being comfortable with what you're using, but it's adding compounds if you feel you need to take them instead of just jumping on a boatload. But you're not going to know exactly what you need. This is a huge, huge trial and error and experimentation thing. So I would say go with what you're comfortable with and you can always build from there if you want to or if you feel you need to. So I talked to him a little more. He had some follow-up stuff. So the reason he's considering this is because he is thinking about maybe having kids in the future and he's thinking about like maybe if he uses less, it would be easier to recover. But here's the thing. He's, I believe, like he's going on 30, a couple years less than that. He's been running gear since he was about 20 and he's been on TRT for a good handful of years already. I doubt he's ever going to be able to recover, you know, his natural test levels at this point. I disagree. Yeah. 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 I do. I, well, I, it, let me go a little into, he, he, he's tried, but you, in order to do that, you have to be willing to commit. You're not going to feel good. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know any, I don't, you're going to have to commit to everything that goes along to recovery. I think that, that using gear may not be physically addictive, but there sure is a level of comfort that we have in being able to hold muscle and being able to be strong, feeling good. The man, you, you, when you lose the test, I mean, I know a lot of guys who have struggled, you know, with, with coming off of it and the, let me ask you this though. So here's what I was thinking. I, cause I just, I know this guy, I don't think that that would be really an option is what I'm thinking. I'd be, I'd, I'd be happy to see him do it. And I would be, that would be awesome if he proved me wrong, but just to explore another idea, how likely do you think it is that he could get her pregnant, his significant other without coming off, maybe running TRT, maybe, maybe going to just HCG and Clomid say for a while uh, and using that as his hormone replacement therapy. Do you, do you think it would be possible to still conceive? Anytime you put a compound, a hormone, you know, into your body, you do run the chance or run the risk of decreasing the likelihood that you will be able to, you know, provide enough healthy sperm to conceive a child. I'll, I'll say that off the top, but I will also say this because it needs to be said, and I don't want this to be construed as, well, just take a bunch of gear and hope for the best. Cause that's not what I mean. But there are a lot of people, a lot of guys who are able to have, have been able to conceive babies while on cycle. And, and I, 
I've used myself as an example. I was on for three and a half years straight one time when our last daughter was born. Yeah. Now that isn't a one-off. Those things happen. Um, they are less likely to happen. Mm. But here's the other thing. Maybe he doesn't take anything. Maybe he doesn't do the cycle at all and he doesn't compete and he still is his, Sperm production is so low, and mm. we tie sperm production in with low testosterone. But <laughs> if you're on gear and people are having babies and they're able to conceive and provide healthy sperm, to, then it's not just about low, it decreases the chance, but it still happens a lot. In fact, it's the main reason after they had done studies on using t injectable testosterone as an male oral contraceptive that they didn't continue with it because that wasn't gonna oh yeah yeah it it wasn't working it wasn't showing enough statistically <laughs> that it actually fucking worked yeah so it, it just it happens a lot what's weird in there and again at the risk of going off on a tangent is we don't have time only, for tangents okay it's just that the large majority of those people who are on and they do conceive a child they're girls We've talked about that. Yeah, we've bizarre. talked about that. I, I I asked a, a buddy of mine about that, my first coach, and he proved us wrong, though, by having a son. There may but, be, yeah. There but then he did have two girls. So. Yeah, exactly. I've got three and one. Um, <laughs> there are other people, but I don't want to mention their name because that would give away that they're on gear, even though it might be obvious. Yeah. Um, you, you're always, if you, <clears throat> the more you limit, the more you know, but you could limit and you could still not have. There are a lot of people who never take steroids who in their late 20s have such low testosterone or sperm production that they can't have a child anyway. And they've never taken anything. Sometimes, I mean, it really, it's, it's, it's hard telling. It, it's just really hard to, sometimes it just seems random and it seems all over the place. Uh, I swear I probably had three sperm and they had S's on their chest and they had a cape and yeah. at least one <laughs> of them made it there. So all right. it's probably a really big sperm too with good arms. Do you know anything about training with a hernia or dealing with a hernia? You know, I saw that question and I'm not sure I'm comfortable with it because I haven't experienced it personally yeah. and I don't know the 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 differences i don't know enough about the differences between the hernias okay. to feel comfortable answering that be honest with you sorry matt we'll have to go to uh we'll have to go to somebody else on that one all right someone smarter someone smarter um <laughs> andrew barry has a question here uh he says um this one's for skip now and i do want to say guys for those of you who don't know we're just stumbling upon the show Skip, you probably couldn't even guess how many people you've worked with at this point, could you? No. No? <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, that just says that I'm old and I've been doing it a long time. It's but been yeah. almost 20 years. I've been making a living at it since four or five. I can't remember. Okay. So basically, guys, for anybody who's watching this that's new, Skip is an OG. That's why we're asking him <laughs> questions. Um, well, you're almost an OG. You're like OG part two because I think Mike Davies is like the original OG because he was like right. – you know, way, way back. They were like, right. they were um, etching their progress pictures. They were like etching them. <laughs> and then they were like yeah. sending them with a courier service. And there was like a, a wax yeah. seal, you know. <laughs> right. um, let's see. So this one's for Skip. Going back, who were your mentors, resources in terms of learning, implementing ideas, etc.? For example, I feel like I had the best opportunities. I got into the sport when the forums were the major thing, uh, had opportunities to learn from 
I'm waiting for my comments to load as I click the button. Uh, learned from great coaches, had a university education in the field through accounts uh, for like, uh, let's see, uh, in, in social media to bounce ideas off of other coaches. Mm. How do I answer this with sound, without sounding like an arrogant dick? So let me explain this. I'll be very, very, I'll be as quick as I can with this. Okay. There are people that I have massive respect for their experience and their knowledge. There's no question. And I have learned from people. One of them, I have to throw out, I mean, Zilla was the first one. He's the one, and, and I'm sure Andrew Barry is, if he didn't know Zilla from the boards, he had heard of who that was uh, because he was just very well known. But um, as far as message boards, no one knows what he looks like or anything like that, which is funny. But um, that is the one person that jumps out that he took me under his wing. He literally taught me shit loading, which later, you know, I, I, I kind of, and I spoke with him about this. He's the one who encouraged me to get going training people because I would tell him, I got these people contacting me and you know, I'm, I feel like I could, you know, charge him a couple hundred bucks and you know, that sort of thing. And you know, that I could, you know, do have a little side business. I call it side hustle, but it wasn't a side hustle then. Cause that term hadn't come up yet. But as far as learning things from people, this is where it'll sound arrogant, but I'll, I'll preface it with this. I could have been better at what I did quicker, sooner. Mm. Had I learned from other people more than what I did. I really did. The large majority of what I did was trial and error. And I think that's what forced me to learn things like very quickly, really what, what worked and what didn't, what maybe not even what worked and what didn't, but what was of the things that were out there that were accepted by so many, the theories, yeah, I liked to prove them wrong. So I would take them knowing, okay, I don't think this is going to work or I, this isn't supposed to work. And then it would work. And I'd be like, well, what the fuck? Another one, a good example of that, just to make a point is, say loading skeletal muscle carbohydrates with fruit. Oh, that just can't be done. That only goes to, well, get depleted. And Justin Harris and I had this conversation years ago and he agreed, get depleted and eat fruit and see if your ass don't fill out. Yeah. It may not be the most, I'm not going to sit here and say the most efficient way, but I prepped for a show where my load days were massive bowls of fruit. Hmm. And let me tell you, when you're depleted and you eat a massive bowl of fruit, you will make your stomach about blow up because you want more carbs, but that shit takes up so much space and it tastes so good that you just oh. get so painfully full and you want more. <laughs> wow. And it moves just so quickly, like an hour later, you're hungry again. But anyway, yeah, I would do things like that. I was forced because I didn't really, I didn't have the internet. The internet was so new and message boards. I mean, I was on message boards in 2000. And the amount of information out there, I really think it's why I got into doing what I what I do now. Had I gotten into it later, maybe I wouldn't have taken as far as I have or wanted to. But I just felt like there was so much garbage information mm. out there that I just wanted to jump in and just start sifting through it. Yeah. So that's how I explained that I, 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 I know I learned things from people. And I still learn things. Like I'll hear something I'll go, oh, shit, okay. So-and-so said that. It, makes, it might be someone who is not even well-known in the industry or well-respected. But, but it makes oh, a God. bell – ring for Absolutely. you yeah. i watch i'm the guy in the gym who will watch other people even like beginners and people who do and every now and then i'll pick up something and i'll be like oh oh shit okay i wouldn't even have thought of that yeah 
it doesn't happen very often because I've been doing this shit for a long time, but it still happens. I still pay attention. So there's things that I'm still learning, but there's not really any one person that I can say, you know, I owe my outside of Zilla <clears throat> that I say I could, you know, I owe my, my things. I mean, I, you know, I still argue, I argue Dante when, and I would argue yeah. about things and piss each other off and butt heads and stuff, because there's some things that he really firmly believed in that I just believed. I didn't believe that that was the best way to do it, but that's what you have. Sometimes there's, a thousand ways to get to the same end result yeah and just different paths to get there so sure you know yeah 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 that's cool that's cool it's nice to hear too you know you talk about still being open-minded you know i think that the older we get the more we know how to do something the easier it is to just kind of rest on the formulas that we're already familiar with but i've seen that in you and i know that like you've talked about kind of changing up your peaking protocols and stuff like that and just in the last year or so i think that that's that's really cool it's nice to still see that you're still evolving and i feel like that that keeps you plugged in too you need to be excited about what you do as a coach. Do you know yeah, what I mean? And I don't think it would be very exciting. You got to remember the older you get, and you, you know, you put in the years of training, you're not making these dramatic changes all the time. So yeah. you are kind of reaching, you want to reach for things and you want to test things and, and continue to learn because you're trying to maximize what you have. And you're, you know, you kind of feel like you're almost tapped out after you've been doing something for so long. So, but I have to admit, there are things that I am locked in. I don't know if I can really throw out something that that comes off the top of my head that I'm locked. But there are things that I'm locked in about. I could probably I, think of a couple. Yeah, I'm sure there are. I, I, I it takes some time to come up with them, but throw something at me if you've got some. BPC one fifty seven. <laughs> I'm I'm getting you to come around to it. But, but yeah, the, listen, because I'm, I'm just skeptical. That's all. I know you're. I, I know you're. Had I used it, then I would know. Here's the thing, though, and you're skeptical for a reason. There are so many shitty peptides, like the stuff that, if we go back to 2006, and we start exploring all the peptides that were out there, we get a bunch of seramorelin and you know <laughs> shit like that. It really wasn't <clears throat> worth it. You know what I mean? And now there is some new stuff out there. That's it's not. I don't think the answer is in like the GHRP six and the IPAM and the all the hacks, all that stuff. But I do think that there are a couple things that are doing some cool stuff. And so when I've, I, because I've, because you've, you've shut me down with BPC, you're like, nah, I don't like the peptides. And I'm like, but, but skip. <laughs> but I do like melanotin. I mean, I, you I do. Yeah. Make such blanket statements because there's always exceptions. I will say this though. I do know that there will, there will continue to be better peptides and better advances yeah. in in supplements and things like that as time goes on. So I can't shut down to them. <clears throat> um, you know, hopefully in my lifetime we see something with myostatin that actually works. But I don't. I'm not terribly. Ooh. You know, there was a uh, study. Positive uh, about. It. We talked about it because Dave Crossland and I were going back and forth about it for about a month. People were asking about myostatin. We were talking about how they don't work and all that. And now they just did a study with these mice in space because in space, you uh, you have the biggest issue with astronauts is that they have a hard time retaining muscle because in space you lose it really quick. So they're using these myostatin inhibitors and these mice were growing like two thirds more muscle in size 
than the other mice. Yeah. So there's there's something out there. Obviously, we don't have it. I suspect if maybe the guys from Oxygen Gym didn't make like a special deal with the NASA scientists. (laughs) Right. Who knows? Who knows? There's another topic for another show. What's going on over there? Yeah. yeah. I've got strong opinions on that, too. Um, Let me see what else we got here, though. Let's see. So um, uh, would you recommend using Mark Bell's slingshot training for hypertrophy? Now, no. what's your thought on there? I actually no. I reached out to our resident slingshot expert, S2H, on this one. Yeah, yeah. Him and I will go, we'll, we'll butt heads on this one because he believes in it and I don't. But I think that's more because of his powerlifting background. He didn't give me anything big. He just said, yes, it'll smoke pecs with blood yeah whatever here's what i think it's a crutch yeah yeah it's a crutch it's if you're limiting you know i think the way s2h explained it last time was it puts more tension on the pecs in the lock position okay but the most fibers are firing from the stretch position so if you're going to use a crutch that takes away the resistance in the in the stretch position then I don't see that that's beneficial from a bodybuilding standpoint. If you have, let's say, and this is why I think that he's coming more from a powerlifting vantage point when he gives his opinion. Some people in powerlifting may have a hard time locking out at the top. Mm. They may not, they may not have a hard time, you know, coming off of the chest with a with a one rep meet single. Um, but bodybuilding isn't about that. And the other thing is, is your elbows should be flared if you're a bodybuilder, not mm. tucked anyway. And the slingshot forces your elbows to be tucked. And that isn't that's a powerlifting bench press. It's not a bodybuilding bench press. So I don't like crutches. I, but you know what? Here, coming back to what we were talking about here about there are things I'm locked in. I don't like the idea the idea of resistance bands and chains i think they're very novel and that sort of thing but i'm not a fan i don't want to use them now there are a couple times where i've seen john meadows use them like say on a dumbbell pullover and i go oh my god that is an exception because that makes that movement yeah better at the top but then you gotta you know the setup for it it's got to be just right it's got to be good left right. you got to have something to anchor it to you got to make sure the bench doesn't move you got to get into position out of position and then i look at it and go you know what? People have been doing pullovers without those fucking rubber bands for years. Uh, let's why add that now? It doesn't seem, and this is how I am when it comes to things like that. I don't want to do things, whether it's diet, nutrition, or supplementation, if there's not a quantifiable, not, I don't want to say measurable, but if there's not the chance for it to make an obvious impact, then I don't want it. I don't want a half of a half of a percent and do 20 different things to get a half of a percent. I, I don't want that. I want the things that work and I'll just keep pounding them and I'll pound them. And I'm probably in the end, not missing out on a goddamn ounce of growth. Here's what Shelby said on an episode or an installment of in the Aaron asylum. He was like, why do you use the band? And it was on, uh, I think on a, a leg extension, like a plate loaded leg extension. And his response was because it's fun. Okay, who who gave the response? Shelby or John? Shelby. Shelby did. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It, you know, John was really into it. And I know that, like, at the time, we were doing a lot of the John Meadows routines. And, um, we, you know, we'd use bands. And we found, like, ways to hook them on everything, which was, it, it, it changes the strength curve, which is kind of cool. Sure. Yeah. One thing Scott pointed out that I thought was interesting was that 
sometimes you can take a band or you can take a machine that doesn't have a good strength curve and then you can improve it because the you know the tension is going to be consist the tension is going to be the same tension i like bands i have fun with them i use them on the reverse hack squat i think everybody's doing reverse band hack squats right now i would say that's the most popular leg exercise maybe i'm just seeing everybody do it but it it changes that strength curve it makes it easier at the bottom and it takes pressure off your knees obviously the bottom is where it's the hardest but then it allows you to be stronger at the top so you can end up handling more weight than you would be able to otherwise and it feels there's like a smoothness if you use the right band it's still very very difficult mm -hmm. but it's it just changes that strength curve so i i like them i'm going to tell this guy bands but i don't know about this thing i don't know i've never used it i i can see what you mean i i bench with my elbows way out and I get mm -hmm. shit for it from people on Facebook and, and Instagram telling me I should. Really? Yeah, yeah. You com you commented once. Somebody was like, "You got to move your elbows in." Whatever. To each their own, I guess. It's just it just flies in the face of logic, but whatever. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? If you want to put your front delts in a more vulnerable position, and you're more concerned about the weight that you're going to put up than the development and muscular growth of the pectoral then don't flare them <laughs> let's see i understand that diet and cardio need to be in the best place they can be first um and i already use eca uh to help leaner to help get leaner by a small amount um t3 for dieting what do you think about it is it uh is it worth adding to his stack? Sure. Yeah, I think T3 is yeah. great. Yeah, I don't, you know, we could get into the argument about, you know, some people try to avoid T3 because of the, you know, they don't want to shut their <clears throat> thyroid down or cause any thyroid damage later. Yeah. As many years as I've been doing this, the only person that has ever claimed to have legitimate um, or have a legitimate claim about thyroid being shut down was that one girl 15 years ago. Can't remember her name either. Hmm. She was quite popular. Apple something. I can't remember her name. Um, and even then it was questionable. I have not seen one person, and I have seen massive abuse of T3, uh, even you know combination T3, T4, uh, and I don't believe in massive abuse, and I don't believe in using it long term. Yeah. But at the same time, I've yet to see someone not recover. Sometimes they're slow to recover, yeah. but I have not seen someone not recover from T3 use. Uh, now, that doesn't mean go out and take as much as you can because Skip said so. All I'm saying is based on what I've seen over the years. Um, I don't want to say it's an innoc innocuous compound sure. either. Um, give that implication. But I think that it's not anywhere near as bad as, I'll tell you what, it's nowhere near as bad as DMP. I just had a guy contact me about a week ago who had a similar situation with DMP like I did. Really? And he, yeah, it was, and it was bad. And he's still in the process of getting rid of the added water that his body just wants to hold and does not want to let go. Blood pressure through the roof, had to go to the ER, mm. things like that. So, uh, and apparently, based on the information he gave me, did everything right. So, if you want to be scared about something, be scared about DNP and never go near it, whether it's low dose or not. And uh, and it was low dose when he was using it too. But I don't think T3 uh, is anything at low dose to 
to be concerned about unless there's existing issues that you're not aware of with your thyroid that, you know, it's, it's nobody wants to fuck with their thyroid. You don't yeah. want to be on a mission and, and not respect that, you know, either the compound or, you know, what the thyroid controls as far as I'm the even thinking of the endocrine system. But. I'm even thinking I, I would take it personally, possibly before Clen nowadays. Yeah, you know, cleanse a funny thing. It's all over the place. You can get a, you know, one day you'll have a study that says that it can help with people who have congestive heart failure by regenerating heart tissue, and then others that it just basically Pac-Man's away heart tissue like it's a bunch of dots. Mm. Um, I I don't know. I can say I have used a lot of clean over the years for yeah. a long time, and knock on wood, <laughs> I don't have any issues that I'm aware of. Uh, when I had all those tests done, when I went in for my infection, uh, the EKG was one of them, and they were shocked that it was so EKG or e -E EKG, right? Okay. This is how many of these I have. I can't even tell you what the goddamn letters are, um, but that everything was great, and they were shocked by that. So mm. I don't know. Um, but low dose, I would say if I was pressed, I would say that low dose T3 would probably – be less. I mean, Clint directly impacts your heart rate and really, I mean, there's a significant, you know, all the way down to the cramping, the depletion of, of, you know, taurine and your mineral imbalances or electrolyte imbalances, things like that. It's a pretty powerful compound. Yeah. I think it's really taken lightly as one of the things, you know what I mean? Like, I think that everybody who has competed has, has taken it. I just, I just, I've got a little more respect for it. I think nowadays, um, Let's see. Would love to hear your uh, take on adding a potassium supplement, and is it needed when sodium is increased in the diet to help uh, keep fluid balance? Uh, also, would love to hear uh, the question from the previous drugs and stuff about uh, back and front loading orals. Oh yeah, somebody did ask about that. So let's go, let's go with the potassium first. What do you think about uh, supplementing potassium? I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before, but I'm a little leery about supplementing with uh, things like potassium and, and even magnesium and, and that sort of thing. Um, calcium is easier. You don't really have to supplement with calcium typically because if your body needs it, it will pull it because you've got it, in a sense, stored. But um, – I don't want to say it's bad if it's low dose. I just I get concerned because if you start playing with your electrolytes too much, you know, the body is resilient and balancing things like that. If your water intake is high enough and your sodium intake is higher, your body's just going to push that excess sodium out anyway. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I'm just leery. I'm leery about supplementing with potassium. Magnesium is a good one. If as an example, you have like a you get those little twitches where, you know, in your quad, maybe the muscles just jumping a little bit and you want to relax your muscle a little bit, you know, a dose or two of magnesium at bedtime will help to do that. Uh, sometimes your tricep, outer tricep head will twitch and it'll bounce, yeah. things like that. It'll, it's kind of a calming or it's not a muscle relaxant, but in the, in the area or the realm of over-the-counter supplements, it kind of is in that sense. It kind of chills everything down. Um, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd take a bunch of magnesium before I train because I think that might be counter, uh, intuitive, but yeah, potassium itself. I mean, if you're getting it, you should be getting it in your diet. You have to be very careful 
with the supplementation of potassium too, and it comes around and, and we can't, we don't have time to get into this. This may be another topic later, but when you get into water depletion and sodium manipulation yeah. prior to a show, especially if you're using a diuretic and whether that is potassium sparing or not, because you can, you know, hyperkalemia and hypokalemia are both pretty much equally as dangerous. And you start getting your electrolytes out of whack like that. And it's terrible. It's bad. They have some stuff now that I've used. It is a, like an electrolyte drink. It just like you get a powder and you mix it in. I, I think it's like Altum, Altima, maybe even. Um, but anyway, though, it, I found like I never wanted to add this stuff in. I always thought like, well, I just add more sodium, right? I was getting really weird leg cramps toward the beginning of the shutdown. And I think it's because. I went from walking around all the time, doing stuff, being on my feet for, you know, a bigger part of the day to like literally sitting in the same place all day at my desk and then working right. out and then sitting back down. Um, yeah, I started getting these weird leg cramps and I, I, I started using this stuff. It was Victoria that had suggested it to me and she's, she's used it with some of her clients who have had mineral imbalances, which is super common for females to have issues, mm -hmm. especially women that are like on the pill and all this. Yeah. If you sweat a lot, yeah. you train and it's a hot environment, you know, yeah. like work outside and you're a landscaper. I used yeah, to just take a lot of salt. I'd add a lot okay. of salt and I, yeah. I was always like, that's all you need, you know, or I'll use like Himalayan sea salt with like other minerals in it. But I'll tell you what, man, this stuff is killer and I would use it. I'm out of it now. I should get some more. But if I took a scoop of that, like with my pre-workout, whatever concoction I was using, man, I would get like, it, it didn't, it was never like a performance enhancement. It wasn't like I would get a better pump than I would have otherwise, but I would get the best pump consistently. If that makes sense. Yeah. You know, if you have your balances right, if you stay hydrated, if you have, you know, good amount of salt in your body, you'll get a good pump in the gym. You can kind of be up. You can kind of be down on different days consistently. I'd always get good contractility out of the muscle and I'd get like good muscular endurance. And I know it was from this stuff. So, and it, the thing is, is that it was a balance. So it had potassium in it, but it has everything else in it too. Sure. And it's balanced. So mm -hmm. I'm a fan of that personally. Um, what if, else do we have? If you here? think you've got an issue, yeah. then, you know, blood work too it can tell you if things are out of range or if and then that way you can supplement what's off versus trying to guess at which one it it is because you know like in your situation maybe it was potassium but maybe it was magnesium right i mean you, you don't know and if you're supplementing potassium and that's not what your body needs then that's a waste of time and you're still not getting what you need dude it was weird those cramps there was weird mm -hmm. i was getting them in the adductors first and I'd just right? be sitting there and it'd be like painful. And I like I started like it started feeling like my legs were like bruised to walk up Sartorius the stairs. Sartorius or adductor? I mean, because Sart Sartorius, the long cable muscle that goes from your groin down the inside of your thigh and then it's ends possible. up on the outside of the knee. If that thing locks up on you, which it sometimes does uh, when you're on clen. Yeah. That is like a, it'll lock up so tight that it'll feel like one of those cables on a fucking suspension bridge. <laughs> and I know I've had it lock up. I had one lock up for well over five minutes once in yeah. the middle of the night. And it is the most painful cramp I've ever had in my life. I was punching it. I was doing Ugh. everything I could to try to get and could not stand on it. It, I mean, I was yelling. My wife shot out of bed. It's happened a few times. Have you ever uh, tried quinine by chance? Yeah. Never. Quinine is funny because it's a uh, quinine sulfate was the old go to 
uh, back works. in the day before AM, damn right, before AMP did. When AMP came out, scintillator, adenosine yeah. monophosphate, um, the vasodilator, one of the side effects to scintillator or AMP is that it helps so much with cramping. Even people who might not get ridiculously vascular, they're like, oh, I didn't get all that vascular from it. 99 out of 100 people will, it'll lessen the potential for cramping so it's kind of funny to watch quinine kind of fall out of popularity as amp became more popular in the early to mid 2000s so it's kind of funny quinine used to be in there as a staple i kept it next to my bed as an experiment to see well when i wake up cramping because i know it's going to happen soon i'm going to have that right here and it worked like boom instantly yep typically it was used um you know like last day or two before uh Show I had a protocol for it. I can't remember yeah. for the life of me what it was. One of those things where you wish, God, I sure wish I'd have kept those notes because yeah. I took brutally detailed notes back then, huh. but didn't keep them. So we did have a question, and I can't remember exactly what it was. Uh, Dave Crossland said he wasn't a big fan of, and I think maybe this might have blown a couple people's minds because they brought it here. They wanted to get your guys' opinions. I have a feeling you're going to agree. He's not a big fan of uh, of front-loading. No. Not a big fan of like starting your cycle out with an oral. No, it's not that it doesn't work. I mean, you're going to get blood levels up much quicker. Um, so it's not bad in that sense. I think what it does is it just reeks of impatience. <laughs> you're basically saying, well, I'm, you know, I don't want to be a couple weeks into my, I don't want to let blood levels climb before I, but letting those blood levels climb allows your body to slowly adapt so that you can make, in my opinion, better adjustments to your training frequency and intensity uh, because of increased recovery and also to your nutritional plan. You know, Mm. we've talked, we've spoken about this a couple times over the last couple podcasts, I think about my approach being more reactive than proactive coming on cycle off cycle, things like that and not adjusting training and nutrition until you see a reason to, um, and, and kind of, you know, dealing with the feedback that your body's giving you. And when you start with an oral, you're jumping into throwing those blood levels up real high. And it's just all of a sudden, you know, within three days, then things change very rapidly. And I think it's harder. I think it's easier to make decisions uh, and adjustments when things go slower as blood levels climb. Yeah. Um, I don't think one is necessarily bad. It's just that, you know, one's bad, one's good, one's right, one's wrong, whether to take the orals front loader and front-loading or not or use that type of protocol but it's just not something that i like to do yeah yeah i and i think too that i mean because dave and i kind of talked about this but why put your body under a great deal of stress at the start of the diet you know or whatever you're doing at the start Mm -hmm. of your off season why compromise your liver and everything else and right you know people think that the liver is something like well the liver regenerates you know so it's it's fine but in reality though it's going to take time for that to happen and that's going to regulate all sorts of other stuff like it's i which i've only learned in the last couple of years really through podcasting is to now understand that the enzymes are produced in your liver they're going to do things like clear the dopamine out of your system so that you can get a good sleep at night team skip you know <laughs> shit that you wouldn't think of you know uh-huh. it's like absolutely believe it or not liver is important you know yeah, and I think what people do is they, they tend to think, well, the liver's resilient and it'll regenerate, so I'm going to kick the shit out of it. Yeah. Not exactly the approach you should be taking. <laughs> All right. What else do we have here? Let's see. Let's see. So, okay. 
uh, Scott Stevenson jumped in on this, which is pretty cool. But the question was, uh, which training style do you think will provide the most growth? Uh, progressive overload in terms of beating the logbook with weight and reps mm. or an approach like John Meadows in which uh, it matters most is execution, intensity, and failure. Love this question. But I here's do. the I thing, though. Love this question. Where Scott jumped in is uh, he had said, uh, wait, let me see if I can pull this back up here. Scott had said, you know, but have you really looked at the mountain dog approach? Because, and I can think about it, you know, training with Shelby. I mentioned the third time now this this uh, episode. Uh, maybe I'm thinking about him a lot because I just saw him, I saw him on uh, the MD uh, Global podcast. He's he's helping this girl and she's like doing fantastic. So we went on to talk about her, um, but uh, he beat the logbook. He he logged everything he was doing and he continued to increase with his weights and reps or reps every every workout. You know. Yeah, I don't know that you know maybe he shouldn't have used the reference of Mountain Dog because if you take it more as which one works better, progressive overload versus you know time under tension, intensity techniques. Yeah, yeah, let's uh, do that. Focusing then. on form, things like that. Yeah. And this is what I'd say, both. But here's the caveat. Mm. I prefer the latter option first. Time under tension, intensity techniques, and form. Those are the ones, I've, I've said this over and over, I'll continue to say it. Intensity builds muscle, in my opinion, before progressive overload, as long as over time you're still working on progressive overload and here's why i don't like progressive overload as much in five months if you progressive overload and you add you know 50 pounds to your bench or 75 pounds to your bench maybe you say 100 pounds to your bench sure you're likely not going to take the measurement of your chest to back and have it all of a sudden be up an inch or or whatever you have that you have to then spend time basically not necessarily repeating those weights but staying in that same rep or that same weight range and progressively overload and all that good shit. but i still think that the intensity and the form and the because a lot of times when we go for progressive overload form doesn't get thrown to the wayside but there are ways to get around like if you need two more reps at 315 on the bench you might get them but were they really all that good? And yeah. did you maybe just increase your rep tempo, your rep speed, things like that? We've talked about this before. I'm just going to – I go with the fact that intensity – and it's safer. It's safer in the sense that I don't think intensity causes anywhere near as many, uh, especially with good form, injuries as progressive overload does. I follow you, and I'm going to try to – I'm going to try to take the other perspective – but just because I, I'm following you and I've done that and I've also I'm also really focused on progressive overload too. But just because I say I'm focused on progressive overload, I'm not I'm not logging everything I do. I and here's the thing. What about if you already are and and I'll speak for myself, I can't speak for anyone else. What if I am doing the best I can, like with my reps? Okay, well I'll give you an example of my incline dumbbell press is one of my exercises that I am logging, that I'm paying attention to what I'm doing. And uh, I got up to the 105s 
but I didn't, I wasn't happy with the depth that I used. Okay. Mm -hmm. What I want to do now is I'm not going to go any heavier than that. In fact, I think I'm going to go back down to the hundreds and I'm going to focus on getting 10 perfect reps mm -hmm. to the ranges that I want with the control that I want. And if I can do that a little bit better each time I'm training, you know, is that not progressive? Even though I'm not going up in weight, I'm getting, I mean, it's not tangible. I can't write it down. That's the thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I can't write that down, but I still consider that progressive, you know? Mm -hmm. I, and I completely agree. I think though, when people talk about progressive overload at its simplest form or the easiest way to gauge it is simply weights versus reps. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. that's where the big mess or the big gray, gray area comes into play. You know, and I can give examples. I've given many examples over the years. You know, I used to curl when I was natural and I was 200 pounds and I was fat. You know, I'd curl 125, 135, 140. They were pretty good reps. Mm -hmm. um, I could, you know, incline at that point, rock solid, you know, 225, touch and go reps on an incline bench. And, you know, I was 200 pounds, it, which isn't great. I'm just making the point. I'm throwing out numbers. Yeah. And then now these days, going back to the curl I don't think I can't remember the last time I curled over an 80 pound barbell yet. My arms are an inch and a half bigger than they were at that time. Mm. I mean, I throw that number out to make a point. I don't know exactly how much is, but they're significantly bigger than they used to be. Yeah. If progressive overload was the only thing that really made or caused growth, then I would have arguably smaller arms. Let's say I had the same, same size arms. Hmm. They certainly wouldn't be bigger. So, what about progressive this is, i mean this topic could go, go on and on for what if what if progressive overload isn't really as tied into weight as much as we think into weights and reps but it's time under tension is there a difference between going to failure at 315 on the bench for 13 or going to failure slower and only getting nine failure is failure right yeah. Muscle can't do anymore. Can, you know, is it then I have to do, you know, what, five more reps, four, four straps? No, I think that would be far more intense than, I mean, there. Yeah. where do you do that? Or, you know, could you do, you know, we talk about not getting below bodybuilding rep ranges. I've talked about this before. Mm -hmm. um, but let's just say you were doing, I wonder what would happen if somebody did a study, and maybe they have, on someone who does five rep sets. But they do them with like five second concentric and eccentric movement uh, so that the time under tension would be equal to what, you know, a 14 or 15 rep set would be if you're just banging them out. What if you just bang out ballistically, you squat piston style and you get 15 reps without stopping uh, or you do 15 reps where every four or five reps you take 10 to 15 seconds to catch your breath because you're heaving. And you get 15 reps. There's differences there. There's so, differences that are not measurable. So, okay. So here's here's my thought then is that you you need to somehow have some sort of uniformity. Right. You, you need to take the chaos out of it. Right. And that's, I think that can be harder to do. But once you can, like, if, here's my thought is that. I think that over time, if I keep lifting weights that I will continue to get stronger. Like if I go in the gym every week and I bench press whatever amount of pounds over time, I'll be able, I'll probably get more comfortable benching whatever amount of pounds. And if I'm always doing my best, I will always continue to progress a little bit. Over That's where time. I think the whole progressive principle came from. Yeah. 
I, because in when it's explained like that, I don't disagree with that. What I don't like is when people take, and I understand why they do, they take things so black and white, so then they focus on only that, and that's all that matters. And then things get thrown to the wayside because they're not talked about during the progressive overload discussions, and that is rep tempo, form, yeah. all this. It, those things are so vitally important that I think they're actually more important than the overload. And yeah. the only reason I say this, again, is I've had success myself personally, so much of it, that shit, if I was only focused on progressive overload, I would have three times the the injuries that I have now because there comes a point where you train long enough that the joints can't hold up to that progressive overload just from the progression of weights and reps anymore. I mean, you're going to top out at some point. That's That was like the number one argument that I had. It's like, okay, progressive overload will build muscle. No one's arguing that it won't. I'm not arguing that it won't. All I'm saying is to me it was it shouldn't be the most focused or the the top priority of someone going into the gym i don't think it should be intensity or it should be form first intensity second or effort and um you know obviously mechanics well form i already covered that yeah again. i think that that's the foundation but then from there in order to get in order to get bigger i think that you like you have to get stronger over time like you have right, but to what about people who have tapped out essentially tapped out their strength i mean i can't go in and you know myself with you know squatting isn't a very good example because of my back but even using my back there comes a point where i have to reach for other things and i have to say okay well i can't just like if you're squatting you know if ben chow is squatting six plates is he the only way he's going to continue to grow then is if he goes to seven plates and then mm. he's only going to grow if he gets to eight plates and he's only going to grow again until he gets to nine or hmm the body may not be see i believe that a muscle grows when it is provided a stimulus to grow that it hasn't seen before that it has to adapt to that it's that not used to that and to me that's progressing now it let, is but let's, what about just increasing rep what about you're not used to training in reps someone who's trained lee haney style in the six to eight rep range for three years if you just move to the higher rep ranges you're gonna grow my legs took off when I was doing failure sets sure. from 15 to 20. Sure. There's something to be said of the Widowmaker. So then you get into why did he put the Widowmaker in there? Now, if you're going to progressively overload to 15 and 20, but my point, my argument has always just been failure is failure. And if your mechanics, you know, I even tell my clients I train one-on-one. -on -one. If you can make the exercise harder by not adding weight to it, then go for it. Yeah, I, I'm all for and that. Right? And that's, but, that's progression though. But eventually you get to the point where you're doing everything really hard. Like, you know, when but I train it's not progression based on what most nor most yeah. people will interpret, because okay. people interpret progression. But, as but yeah, no, way. let me finish though, because eventually sorry, you get sorry. to the point <laughs> where you're doing everything hard. You know, you're like, you, you're, you're, you're using time under tension. You're using, you know, you're getting good contractions, you know, and that you still have to do more. You know what I mean? The like progressive overload needs to be explained better. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're explaining it because the yeah, large majority of there. people, if you took a poll and they were to vine to define progressive overload, they would say, well, increase weights or reps. I mean, it, in its most yeah. simplest form, that's how they would explain it, but that's how people comprehend it. And yeah. if they would, if they would look at it deeper and, and look at it like we're discussing it, then I can't disagree with that. But I don't think the large majority of people do. They just think more weights, more reps. And I have seen it. I have seen it in 
even people that I know personally sure. that are focused on progression that, that I've seen that there is a, a, a the quality has gone down. I know that that can happen. It's yeah. it's something that's it's 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 a weird one, man. It is. Mm-hmm. It's a weird one. Uh, I didn't beat my log, but and then your whole week sucks until you can get back to try to beat it again. And then the only thing you're focused on is beating the logbook. The logbook does not track rep tempo. It doesn't doesn't um, track time under tension. It doesn't it doesn't track a lot of it only tracks weights and reps. So you got to dig in deeper. If you're going to focus on progressive progressive overload, that's great. But don't stay on the surface. Get down in there and pay yeah. attention to everything that makes up progressive overload because it's not that simple. Yeah, it has to be in some way unified. All that other stuff you're talking about, like that has to be taken care of first. Yeah, and, and how I, do you do that? It's hard to – you can't quantify. How do you – unless you're going to measure time under tension too, uh, temp, rep tempo, like rep speed, you can't yeah. do that. Yeah, I know? try to. You know, I do. Yeah. I try to. Yeah, but it's – you know, then gotcha. it's easier to come back and go push more weights and more reps. I mean, it is if you think about it. It's yeah. like, well, I could do all this other shit over here, but oh man, I, I don't have the time to do that. I'm hooking up chains and bands. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I got to tie off my bicep because it's occlusion dra- It's occlusion training day. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> listen, I think I, it's easy to get confused. Um, I think when I first started looking at progressive overload, it's when we were doing the Muscle Minds podcast with Jordan and Scott. And my thought was like, I just, I, I want to do different stuff. And what if I'm training chest after I do Mm -hmm. flies, you know, Mm -hmm. then is it, that's going to be different. So now I have my log book for when I train chest after I do flies. And then I have my log book for training chest before I do flies. Oh, gotcha. And then I have my log book for if I'm doing three second negatives, it's like, it does get confusing. So I've tried to, I guess. Should you open with an isolation move like machine flies before you bench? That's going to cut your weight down on your bench. You're not going to grow as much. Oh, wait, the pecs are more fatigued, so you don't have to handle as much weight before you hit failure. The chest and shoulder, or the shoulders and triceps will help to take the chest even further if you do it that way than if you do it the other way around. It's so we can make it so complicated yeah yeah but if you really just take it and you go you know what fuck overload fuck everything up but go in with great mechanics yeah dig into the muscle that you're training as hard as you could possibly dig into it and train your fucking ass off man all right let's 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 cut that there that was good Let's see if we got anything else here I i mean we do but we are also kind of running low on time at this point um, that was a good one. It went further than I thought. I'll be up till six. I got plenty of time, dude. Uh, rehab exercises <laughs> that have helped. Um, do you do the work? Okay. What is this? Uh, what rehab exercises or other things that have helped? Do you do work around your low back issue? Oh, in the gym and in general in daily life. I'm thinking he's asking me. Unless you've, I don't think you've talked a lot about a low back issue, have you? Mm, I, he's probably talking <laughs> about me. Yeah, it took me a second there because I was thinking, hmm, I'm pretty sure, but I don't want to steal this from him. <laughs> I, I think that, you know what? My low back issue, I figured out. I figured out that it was my glutes. Yeah. Okay. It was weak glutes. And a lot of times, 
Hey, I told you I had my training partner, Jake, Dr. Jake, right? Yeah. I'd be doing bent over rows, and he'd be fucking poking me in my fucking, I want to say my butt. I was going to say my ass, but he wasn't poking me in my ass. That was for other times when we would have drinks. But during the training time, he would poke me in my glutes. I'm, I'm like, what the fuck were you doing that for? He's like, your glutes aren't tight. Your lower back is taking the brunt of mm-hmm. that support. You have to, he said, and, and I explained this to my clients, my one-on-one clients, the same way he explained it to me because I think it's awesome. You, It's like you're holding a pencil in the crack of your ass and you can't drop it. Yeah. You have to hold that pencil so you're squeezing your fucking glutes the entire time you're bent over and that helps to take the load off of the lower back. But the number one thing isn't an exercise, it's stretching. That's well, the number one thing in my opinion. I think stretching is a big one. I think for me, what would end up happening is, and I used to, I used to have a manual labor job. I would strain my low back. When I hurt my low back, it was basically I would sprain something in the lumbars, uh, and then from there, that would take you know a good week or two to to heal. But that's if I didn't have a job, which I was using my low back. So then it would stretch out. It would be six weeks, eight weeks of just low back pain. Me living off of Advil every day. Uh, until I'd eventually get it back under control. But guess what? I would strain my low back again. I'd be doing a barbell row, a T-bar row, a squat, whatever it was, I was doing an exercise. And then all of a sudden I'm good. I'm good. I'm holding tight. And then my low back would just, oh, and then from there, that's it. And I'm done. And I basically sprained a muscle. And what was happening is my glutes were not firing. They, right. uh, they just didn't, they didn't turn on the way that other muscles would because they were weak. I had... I started out squatting, all glutes, all hips, and my legs, were they were never great. And then I changed my stance. I was able to squat from my quads, but then my hamstrings were much smaller than my quads, so I started training quad, uh, hamstrings. I learned to get those to fire. Uh, before you know it, I had decent quads and decent hams and zero glutes. My glutes, here's the deal, and that's when I learned this too. I'm going to take this a step further. If you have a weak muscle group like I did, my glutes were weak, there's a chance that they're not contracting as well as they should be. I mean, it sounds well, simple. You know what I mean? Well, sure. But then the question becomes, are they not firing or are you not firing them? Well, whatever the case was, I started directly training glutes. And my first thought was like, well, I want to train them because I want them to grow. Uh, and then through that, I learned how to turn them on. Right. Exactly. I, you know, I was yeah. doing rec pulls today heavier than I used to ever do them and with confidence. Now, I have to still make sure I'm connecting to them. Like when I'm training and I'm doing an exercise where I'm bent over, I make sure that I turn my glutes on. In fact, I might even do like a uh, like a, um, a single leg um, bridge, you know, like glute bridge or it, it, anything just to get the glutes to turn on. I want to do something first. And then from there, I get that mind muscle connection going because I got a little blood right. going. And then it's easier to do. I may even do that on a back day. But for me, that was the problem. I can't tell him if that's going to be, you know, a fix for him. But we have talked about it before. I really do believe that uh, that glutes not firing is a cause for low back. And it's not the first place we go. When My dad had low back problems. And what he used to always say was, it was your core. You got to strengthen your core. Well, guess what? I strengthened the hell out of my core. And I was doing yeah. planks and, you know, everything else. And that was strong. But I was still lacking the, the glute support. So Right. Yeah. And there's, the you know, the thought, how do you get them to fire? And I... One of the things that I have always thought myself and tell my clients is if you're doing a bent over row, obviously you're focused on your back while you're pulling, but you have to still think I'm driving my feet through the floor. A deadlift is a good example. Instead of 
thinking I'm going to lift the bar, mm-hmm. latch onto the bar, get the tension there, and then drive your feet through the floor. Ooh, I like that. I know nobody ever told me that. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah I, I like that though. Yeah, yeah. Drive your feet through the floor. The bar will yeah. move. The floor won't move. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the bar, the bar will move, and that keeps more hip drive. One of the things with that, well, we could go. I could go on and on about deadlifts, but I'm always careful with deadlifts too because you know I work for Elite FTS, and I am not a, and don't claim to be. I don't pretend to be one on the podcast or on the internet. I'm not a world, you know, champion deadlifter. So I want to be careful with talking about things like that too much. But I've learned a lot working with those guys because again they're some of the best power lifters in the fucking world and they move big big numbers and that's where i picked that up the bar won't the bar will move but put your try to put your feet especially your heels through the platform and that'll increase hip drive and a lot of people miss out on hip drive they're they're loading their lower back so much when they're doing deads Hmm. that you know they're more hip drive well i could go on and on i'll stop um, I watched a video the other day of Dave Tate teaching some people how to do squats and he had like this group of maybe five or six or eight younger guys and they were all doing these box squats and he was like, I'm just going to have you warm up. I'm not going to say anything first. I just want to get your blood moving and watch your form. And he's like, I'm going to try not to pay attention. And then, and then when we come back through, then I'm going to start offering corrections. But for now, I just need to see you get in position. And he was like, uh, after the, he was, after they were going, he was like, I got to look away. I got to I got to look away. Yeah. And then he was watching him, he'd look at him and he'd go. Mm. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yep. It was yeah, I'm glad I wasn't one of those kids. I would have felt like shit right about them. Take a look around your gym at any given time. You'll see things fucked up all the time. The cool thing is is these days everyone is already an expert whether they've been training for 6 months or not, so they don't want your input. So you just kind of go back to what you're doing and go, "Well, hope they don't fuck themselves up." Yeah. Yeah. I don't offer advice unless I'm asked. All right. Oh, we'll go to this one then. This is the uh, this is our last question of the day. S2H. What is the proper wood for smoking authentic Texan brisket? <laughs> I've got an answer to that one, but I, he has a skip question too. Skip, would you be willing to share your best hamburger recipe publicly? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I tell you, if I want hits, if I want likes, boy, I got it. Well, I've got what I've done is I've gotten pissed because I can't find a good burger down here. So I just got mad and started making them myself. I saw that, yeah. Yeah, because I'm like, Feels fuck good. it. You know what? The ones I make are damn good. Um, yeah, publicly, you know, everybody's got their preferences of what to put on them. I have come across a pretty good one, though. And my favorite right now is the, the I wish I had a beef blend with short rib in it, but I can't get that unless I go to a butcher. So I use a 8515, um, you know, fat, but it's just a beef. It's an Angus beef, but um, it's got to be a little fattier because it's got to be, you know, it's got to be juicy. Okay. Lean beef doesn't taste very good. Um, very particular about buns. They can't be thick. They can't be dry. So I like them to be light, like an artesian type bun. And then I butter it and grill it real fast so that it's crunchy obviously it won't be when Mm. you know i go to bite into it but the point is is it tastes better that way and it's lighter and uh it's this is how it goes it's um goat cheese and wild or a blackberry jam on the bottom holy shit then the meat and then thousand island dressing and then shredded lettuce and a thin slice of tomato. But you have to separate them 
Hmm. And then I think you got to separate those by the meat. Otherwise, it just becomes this like sludge, you know, of everything together. But you, it might throw you because of the jam and everything. Else. But it's not too sweet. Everything mixes together. You got to have the fat and the sweet. I even tried it with some um, truffle honey, that yeah. expensive shit I told you that I got. And it's like, meh, that's not all that great. Um, but I've tried a couple different things. There's other ones I do with cream cheese, a oh, burger. Wow. With peanut butter on it is great with other things too. You've but mentioned that, that before. That's my favorite. That's that's the one that that is my favorite, and it's it's pretty fucking good. Damn, <laughs> damn! I kind of want to try that now. So <laughs> for for smoking, here's what Scott says. I because I this is an important question, so I texted him about this. Uh, choice. It says meat choice. Choice at min grade. I don't know what that means. Trim fat off at half inch. Uh, get a good rub, smoke meat side up for 12 hours, smoke at 250 degrees, dropping to 175 at eight hours um, to first 12 hours. Wrap brisket at eight hours when the temperature goes to 175. Uh, let it rest for 45 minutes when done. Use pecan mix wood. Or you could just save all that time and go to a really good barbecue place, and they'll even clean up your table after you're done. You don't have to cook it. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to clean up afterwards. None of that bullshit. Man, I'm getting hungry now just listening to all this. <laughs> I like barbecue. I do like good barbecue, too. Yeah. But we had better barbecue in Denver than, than is down here. I haven't eaten a lot of barbecue. I went to a place here that had also. You know what we have that I have not tried? There's a place in Detroit that's supposed to be pretty epic called Slow's. I don't doubt. I would not be shocked to see that Detroit had. Uh, I'll tell you where you find, and I don't. Maybe it's going to sound not politically correct or whatever. But you want good barbecue? Go to the fucking ghetto, and all you got to do is follow your smell to find the smoke pit that is outside, usually hooked to the back of a fucking van with no windows. And I'm telling you, they will cook the fucking barbecue. The problem, the reason I can't get barbecue is I get up too late in the day. Real barbecue places that you go to like buy it instead of cook it. Yeah. They only cook X amount and oh. it's gone. Like it'll start to the wing, smoked wings back in Colorado. They were gone by 2 PM smoked rib. Oh no. They, they will only cook X amount and it. And they don't want to cook more than they need because obviously it's just wasted food. It doesn't save until the next day. Hmm. And then the ribs will go next and then the brisket. And if your ass isn't there, especially on the weekend, if you're not there by four or five, mm -hmm. you're stuck with maybe uh, smoked chicken thigh, which isn't bad, but, or sausage yeah. something like that. But no, if you want the ribs or you want the chicken, uh, the wings, smoked wings are just fucking incredible, but they hmm. were gone by one or two every day. Damn. No. Yeah, I haven't had that kind of smoked food experience. Yeah, smoke is good. It's done right. It's it's damn good. And you get all those fat ass sides. If you can get cornbread on the side and yeah. good coleslaw that's mayonnaise based instead of mustard based. Oh yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Good coleslaw is the shit. Greens. So I got a personal question for you. You thinking you? What's your thought on? Now I know you're shut down on the competing front for now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Any any thoughts about that in the future yet, or you're not even going? No, there? you know what I've done. I've forced myself to not even think about it. Okay, yeah. I mean, fair enough. It'll come in my head, and I'm like, fuck that. I'm not even gonna. I have been. I was so mentally locked in that I just don't want to be locked into that part of it right now. Um, my focus right now is just 
Um, you know, I started like I did some lunges with just body weight and stuff because I'm not training legs until the middle of November when I get back from seeing the kids in Colorado the first week of November. Okay. And then um, my my main focus really is I want to take a while. I'm going to try to grow the fuck out of my legs. I like that I'm idea. Almost mad. I'm almost mad because I'm like, you know what? When I got really lean this time and I was getting close, I mean, I, I probably was, you know, roughly – you know, I probably I would have been ready for a show in four or five weeks if I needed to be. I think I ended up having to pull it like seven weeks, something like that. But the point was, I was pretty damn close. I was closing in on two hundred, yeah. and um, I my I was really disappointed. And remember, I didn't do any cardio, so it's not like cardio ate up, and I kept a lot of my strength. I mean, I was hitting big, bigger numbers than I've ever hit in a prep before this lean. So. It wasn't that I lost it dieting. I just didn't have it to begin with. I haven't gotten that leg size back hmm. since having all those lower back injuries. So That's I think tough. now yeah, it is. And it was really a strike to my ego because I really liked how my upper body had come along. But my I was going to have to ride on basically my shape and my conditioning when it came to legs. And I was pretty disappointed about that the leaner I got. And it was obvious. Have so you tried I'm any of the... Like the the bike we're talking about at all? Have you messed around with that yet? Not yet. Not yet. I put the lunges in the other day after because all I can do right now is leg curls, leg extensions, and sissy squats. Okay. So when I was done, I was like, okay, I'm going to do some. I know I'm not supposed to, but I'm going to do some just body weight. I was hanging on to the Smith bar and everything else. Yeah. Just, just low intensity, just body weight lunges, and everything felt great. And that's all I'm going to do. I'm not going to be like, oh, I feel good, so now I'm going to start adding weight. I'm going to stick to it. I'm pretty locked into doing what's right not fucking myself up at this point i've been smart for the last couple of years and i'm going to continue to um, be calculated and, and make better decisions than i did a few years ago so i am just really focused on i want to blow i want to m basically get my legs as big as i can fuck and i'm trying to figure out now how i'm going to do that it's like well i want to train them more frequently so i'll make up a rotation but i don't want to train them too frequently uh so it's I'm going to see, I got to figure that out mm. and hopefully that'll be enough to enough of a challenge to keep me focused in the off season. Cause I really just like to be shredded and I want to compete so bad. But after this, I'm just not, I'm not, I just, I'm forcing it out of my brain again right now. Okay. Yeah. Me. I was just curious. Yeah. I, uh, I like that. I like that idea. I hear you on the legs too, man. I, my legs are pretty good right now and I want to, I still want them to be better. And I've been experimenting with the, you know, where I talked about doing the, the, um, the spin bike uh -huh. it's brutal, man. I've been able to do it though. I can, I can hit it hard for 20 minutes. Like I can do nice. it. And, it. And obviously it's not like true hit cause you can't do true hit for 20 straight minutes. Yeah. You know I what I mean? Thinking, I was like, that's what the fuck, <laughs> but I can push hard and then, you know, back off a little and push hard and back off a little bit. I got the airs, the air filled in my bike, outdoor bike tires too. Okay. So I did that hell yesterday. Of a pump. It's gotta be a hell of a pump. Yeah. At first I was kind of curious. Like I was wondering, like my teardrops were so like fired up. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to stick with this or get through five minutes even. But yeah, I, yeah, yeah, it was good, though. It was good. I'm happy. Well, with I it. am looking forward to it. It's still on the plan. My thing was, is I don't want to go to it too soon because I feel like it's even though it's not a lot of resistance, it's more explosive. Yeah. And yeah. I just don't want to be like going and all of a sudden tsh, in my leg be like, oh, what the fuck? At yeah. least now when I'm doing body weight shit for lunges, if I feel something, I'll just I'll stop instead of just exploding on something that even though it's not that heavy it's still more explosive if i'm going real hard i just i'm a little leery of that right now right on all right guys well everybody thank you for tuning in for another episode of blood sweat and gear here uh if you haven't 
do us a favor, subscribe to the YouTube. And uh, if you enjoy this stuff, do us a favor, give us a like, share this, everything else. Head on over to teamskip.com. You can reach out to Skip over there. And, of course, check out our sponsor, truenutrition.com, and use our code ADVICES. Skip Hill, as always, thank you much. Been a pleasure.